Let's go ahead and ask God to guide our time. Father, truly, what a wonderful song. A song that brings a lot of truth. You are a way maker. You are one that is worthy of worship, exaltation. Father, we thank you for our graduates, some from high school, some from college or university. Father, may your hand be upon them, guiding them in the next step of their lives. May they honor you and may they serve you. Father, as we look at your inspired, inerrant word, speak to us, challenge us, encourage us. We desire to be changed by truth, and truth comes from you. Guide us, we ask, in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as you've already figured out, today is Grad Sunday, and we are really proud of our graduates. They have excelled academically, athletically, artistically, socially, and in many other ways. And we can't wait to see the next step that God encourages them, guides them to take. In a few moments, we're going to introduce the sermon by looking at some mortar boards. I did that a few years ago, and it must have been before Andrew was here because he wasn't totally sure what a mortar board was. Having graduated several times, it's a little square hat as a mortar board. He put it on. He didn't know what he was dressing himself with. But before we get there, a little cartoon, don't groan. It just has meaning to us all. I think this class and the last class have had a challenge, haven't they, that perhaps many of us have not endured. And yet they have sailed through the challenge well. And we look forward to better days ahead. And we are so proud of our graduates. Well, here are a few mortar boards. The first one I had Jared put together for me. He got the year wrong and the spelling close. But we are thankful. They have really achieved a lot. And one of the mottos of the church is to take the next step in one's relationship with Jesus Christ. And so graduation is a step, but it's not the final step. It's one more step in a series of steps empowering us to serve the Lord. The next mortar board, I would probably rephrase a little bit. First, certainly God is first, and then I would put parents, and yeah, I would put grandparents after that, and coffee would be somewhere down the line. And what I want to say to our graduates, or those of you who are away during the year, call mom and dad like every week. Call your grandparents like every day. They deserve it. Send some texts. Be a part of their life as they have been an integral part of your life. The next is a little advice from uh, Vader. Uh, I was but a learner, now I am a master. Not true. Not true. There is one master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of our graduates, some of you here today, have earned terminal degrees, doctoral degrees. Some of you have postdoctoral work. You're still not a master. 
There's always one more thing to learn, one more step to take. We have one master, we bow before that master, and we always better ourselves to serve his greater purposes. Well, I'm going to offset Vader with Dobby. He says, uh, my master has given Dobby a diploma. Dobby is free. Well, that's not what John says, is it? John says, if the son has set you free, you are free indeed. True freedom is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether we're at home or we're in the workforce or we're at school in academia, true freedom is when we attach ourselves closely, intricately to God. The Son will set you free. The next one we have is broken crayons still cover color the perfect picture. I'd change it to almost perfect picture. We're all broken crayons. I often think to myself, if I were God, I'd have a pile for those broken crayons and we'd all be in it. But what does God do? He sharpens us. He reuses us. He gives us second opportunities. He forgives and he recommissions us. We're broken crayons and empowered by God, we're creating beautiful tapestry. The next one is perhaps the verse most cited when we do baby dedications. And it essentially says that God has a preferred future for us. Have you ever looked at the context of this passage? It's when Judah is in a world of hurt. It's when Judah is in a dark season, a dark time. I don't think our young parents realize that when they pick the verse. Or maybe they do, which is better yet, because it reminds us that even in our difficult times, God is there, God strengthens us, God carries us through. The next one reminds us that the future is bright. I'm going to need some shades. I believe the best future, the most propelling future, fulfilling future, is the one with Christ. We are most fulfilled as we most love Christ, serve Christ, honor Christ. I would say to our graduates, I want to say to us, take the next step in our relationship with Jesus. One more mortarboard, and this is true. They're off to the mission field. The mission field is wherever God sends us. The mission field is our neighborhoods. It's the place we work. It's academia. It's where we recreate. Wherever we go, that is our mission field to tell people about our great, great God. Well, love God, live for God, obey God's word. But how do we love God, live for God, and obey his word? One way is to obey the Ten Commandments. And so each of the three of us have chosen one of the Ten Commandments. Andrew's going to dabble with all ten. It's still one. (laughs) Yeah, he kind of claims that the Tenth Commandment covers the first nine as well. It does. Get comfortable. It might be a while. But the commandment that I have is the first one. Exodus 23, have no other God beside me. Now, we could read this very ignorantly and say, well, this pertains to those 
who bowed down before false idols, things made of metal or stone or wood. That's true. The verse does pertain to that. But idolatry is actually anything that is most important in our lives. If there is any person, any activity, anything, whether we have it or we do not have it, other than God, it is idolatry. And the first commandment says, thou shall have no other God beside me. This is the first and the greatest commandment, is it not? In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is what we desire for ourselves. It's what we desire for our graduates. God first, God preeminent, God above all else. As I thought about going into academia or the workforce or the military, I, I thought of some false gods, three of them, that I think gravitate towards humanity and humanity gravitates towards them. So these are three false gods. I want us all to be on the lookout and to avoid idolatry. The first is mammon. This is the false god of money. I hope our graduates earn money. When they go into the workforce, they're going to earn money. When they go to the academy, they're going to spend money, probably mom and dad's. They're going to be broke. But someday, they're going to earn money. Money is a tool. I want us to use the tool well. Too many people, too many Christ followers are controlled by money. We bow before money rather than before God. Thou shall have no other God beside me. Money is a great tool. It's a good gift from God to be used to advance our family, to advance the kingdom of God, and to help others never as an idol to be bowed before. The second God that I see that is very prevalent in our land is the God of Baal. That's a Canaanite God. Or the Romans and the Greeks were Eros or the female goddess Aphrodite. These are the gods of illicit love, immorality, and the like. The first being to ever have a sexual thought was God. And he created intimacy as good and right always within the bounds of a husband-wife marriage relationship. But as we go into the workforce, as we go into the military, as we go into academia, we are going to see the illicit usage of God's good gift. And we need to stand for truth. God has given us a good gift within the, grounds of the, ground, uh, the bounds of marriage. And when we go outside, it leads to pain, it leads to shame, it leads to unnecessary division. Guard your hearts, guard your lives. Thou shall have no other God beside me. The final deity I will mention is Minerva or Athena in the Greek pantheon. This is the goddess of science, technology, arts, advancement, and the like. Here's a temple. This is from Tunisia of this false goddess. I love academia. I absolutely love academia. I don't like technology. I love science. I love the arts. 
I could understand people being enthralled with these areas. But again, they're tools. They're tools to be used. They are not to be bowed before. And what I want to say to our graduates is this. Sometimes some of them are going to be in hostile environments. They're going to have a hostile professor who is going to encourage them to deny their faith, to make mockery of the things of God. And what I want them to know, I want us to know, there are world-class leaders. There are world-class people in the academic world that bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and learn these trades, learn these professions, learn these sciences as tools. But there's one master. The master is Jesus Christ. Make him your master. Thou shall have no other God beside me. Thanks. So when we look at that one commandment, it's foundational to our lives as Christians, and it aligns our hearts and our minds uh, to put Jesus in this, in this rightful place supremely over our lives. And so I want to continue looking at uh, one commandment that perhaps uh, sheds a lot of light into our mission at G180. Um, and we should know that one of our goals, one of our main goals in Generation 180 is, is to, by the time our students reach today, graduation Sunday, that they are a maturing and self-feeding Christian. And so that doesn't mean they've arrived, right? None of us have arrived, but the trajectory is one of which uh, they're growing steadily in their faith. They're, they're not necessarily looking for youth group or church only to be the way that they nourish their souls. They don't uh, they don't devalue church, but they realize that growing in their walk with the Lord is a daily routine uh, through spending time with Him. And so that is one of our main goals, is to have them be maturing and self-feeding Christians. Today I want to spend a time, uh, as we continue to study what it looks like to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus, uh, is look at the ninth commandment, and that's Exodus 20, verse 16. It says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And it would be simple to say, you know, well, okay, great. That's, that's a really simple command. Do not lie. Thanks, Pastor Jared. Pastor Andrew's turn, right? But we're not going to do that just yet. We're gonna believe, I believe we're going to go a step further today to look at not just the, the obvious commandment to not lie, but to really look at what it means to be a person of integrity, what it looks like to be someone who has not only a good reputation, but someone who has good character by understanding that their life is a life of worship and that God has called us to live a life of integrity, not just to make us look good, but to make him look good. To live a life where people can trust not only our words, but our character. We're reminded in John chapter 3 that God himself is true. In John 17, that his word is true. And so as Christ followers, we want to honor the Lord. We want to bring delight to him by allowing our word and our actions to be true uh, so that the world around us can see that we can be trusted. Integrity is somewhat of a lost pursuit, it seems, in today's culture. The world insists on uh, us cutting corners when necessary, uh, focusing only on ourselves first. Uh, we're told that it's okay to have a real-life version of ourself and a digital or social media version of ourselves that we play the highlight reels on social media and never real life. 
Uh, We live in a culture that celebrates tolerance as long as both sides completely agree and there are no disagreements, right? That's the word tolerance today. And we live in a world that minimizes biblical values at the highest level. And yet, as Christ followers, our graduates and us included, we're called to live a life of integrity, to be salt and light in this world. We're called to let our yes be yes and our no be no, because as Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, anything else comes from evil. And we are called to live lives that bring honor and glory to God alone. We are called, as uh, perhaps our students would tell you so many times, uh, they've heard again and again where we get our name, that's we're called as Christians to be a generation that turns 180 degrees away from the world, away from culture, away from sin, and run wholeheartedly to Christ. And that includes living a life of integrity. And I want to close my portion of this segment with an with a, a object lesson, more of a visual. I'm a visual learner, so I always appreciate it when I get to uh, you know, present with visuals. And perhaps you're like me, and this will be a good reminder of something in the days ahead. There's an object that seems to be everywhere in life, and, and although I guess that could be argued somewhat, it was very obvious in my dorm room, it was evident in restaurants, and grocery stores, you see this thing everywhere, and that is the mighty ketchup bottle. There it is. And I, When you graduate, hot sauce. Hey, don't get me wrong, Pastor Jeff, I know my way around a Cholula bottle, amen? All right, all right, I know, I know, I know about some hot sauce. But this ketchup bottle, all right? Now, this is, seems silly. You're probably wondering, what's Jared going to do? How is he going to compare ketchup to living a life of integrity and all that? <laughs> it, it's not the ketchup bottle. And it's not even the Heinz ketchup or condiment company, whatever it is, the Heinz company of today. But rather, it's the man behind the bottle I want to take a look at for a minute. His name is Henry Heinz, and he's a distant relative of our very own Pastor Jeff. Um, it's true, though. Uh, <laughs> born in 1844, he uh, grew up uh, by Germany. He, he was born of German immigrants uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And he grew up working the family garden and farm. And uh, as a teenager, he was growing and selling vegetables. And um, after graduating college and getting married, he, uh, he kind of made his entry into the world selling horseradish. And uh, about 1875, a national financial collapse happened, and he ended up going bankrupt. And he kind of, in that moment, made the decision, and and he felt the conviction that his debts that he owed because of the bankruptcy, although technically he was free from paying them back, he felt an obligation to pay those debts back. And he did. He paid back every penny out of his pocket. He went on to found the H.J. Heinz Company with its 57 varieties uh, and became a leading American businessman. And as a devout Christian, he was, known, uh, he was known for being someone who was generous to his employees and towards Christian causes. He was known to be a man of integrity, respect, uh, of high regard. And throughout his life, he conducted uh, his business and his personal dealings with the same integrity that uh, led him to pay back hundreds of thousands of dollars when he technically didn't need to. At the end of his life, he began his will with these words. I desire to set forth at the very beginning of this will as the most important item in it, a confession of my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. You see, Henry understood what it meant to not only 
follow the ninth commandment to not bear false witness against his neighbor. He understood what it meant to live a life of integrity, to take the high road, to live in such a way that it made other people want to follow Jesus. He, he lived in such a way that he realized that the tools that God had given him ultimately were to be used to make God look good, not just him look good. And that's the thing about integrity is that oftentimes we get the praise, but it's not about us. It's about the Lord. He understood what Proverbs 22.1 says, where it says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. In other words, good reputation, character, integrity, it's more valuable than the quick fix of money. It goes beyond telling the truth and being a good neighbor. It's understanding that you and I are becoming something and someone that will impact the world around us. And even right now, people pay attention to how we live, the decisions we make. We either live a life of integrity and we desire to make the Lord look good or we cut corners and live for ourselves. In the past 18 years, our students have had parents, teachers, coaches, uh, life group leaders, friends, pastors, and even one another impacting, pouring into and influencing them to be, help them become the man or woman they are today. So the question is we ask them, we ask ourselves and that everyone here, and that is who are we becoming and what do we have to show for what we've been given? Will we continue to grow to be a man or woman of integrity? And now we trust that they will. We trust that Highland is a place, a community that, that helps one another grow into men and women of integrity. And we know that the Lord has so much more in store, not only for our graduates, for each of us, when we long to glorify and worship him through striving to live a life of integrity. Yeah, so for our next command, we're gonna see how mustard teaches us not to steal. I'm just kidding, no. I don't have anything near as creative as the ketchup bottle. Instead, we're gonna close out by looking at the 10th command, right? So we're gonna look at God's finale to the 10 commandments. And to be fair, the 10th command isn't a single command so much as a cluster of commands. Uh, but let's go ahead and look at verse 17 to hear our final word from the Lord today for our seniors. Here's what God says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So this final command is all about guarding our hearts against jealousy, envy, covetousness, discontentment. And that's a very relevant command for our graduating seniors and really for all of us because we live in a culture that is rampant with all of those things, jealousy, discontentment, envy, and covetousness. And not only is this command relevant, but as the 10th command, I think it's also strategic in the place that God has, has put it in within the ordering of the 10 commandments. Because God was very intentional when he ordered the 10 commandments. I mean, just think about the structure. The, the first four commands deal with how to have a right relationship with God. They are vertically oriented. You shall have no other gods before me, no graven images. Don't take God's name in vain and remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. They're all about how to have a right relationship vertically with the Lord. But then the final six commands deal with horizontal relationships and how we deal with other people. We're not to, uh, we're not to uh, kill, we're not to steal, we're not to bear false witness, we're in all these different things. But then think uniquely about the 10th commandment, 
right? The 10th commandment, all the other commands really deal with outward actions. But the 10th commandment really focuses in on our heart motives. And this really reminds us that every sin before it's committed outwardly really begins with a misplaced inner desire. And it reminds us that sin has not just infected our actions and behaviors, but it's infected our very thought lives, our very values, and the very desires of our heart. Because when a person chooses to steal, what have they been doing? Coveting something that they didn't possess. When a person crosses God's boundaries for sexual intimacy, what has that person been doing? They've been jealous and desiring of something apart from God's good moral directions. Sin ultimately begins in our heart, in our thought lives. And a covetous, jealous, discontent heart will always put us on the path towards spiritual compromise and eventual demise. And I really think this will be one of the hardest commands for our seniors to live out because we live in a culture that is so bad at this. We live in a very discontent, jealous, and envious culture. And there are many things every single day that are going to tempt them to feel these emotions and to fall into this sin. Maybe our seniors are going to be tempted to uh, feel envious every time that a wealthy classmate brags about a trip that they got to take over a holiday where they had to go home and work and save up money for the next semester and they think that life isn't fair. Maybe they're going to be tempted to feel jealous anytime they go to a gym for a workout in a culture that pushes. You have to look a certain way. You can look around at the physique or strength of others and become increasingly discontent with the body that God has given us. We're tempted to feel jealous every time that we scroll through social media and what a person is posting on Facebook or Instagram about their possessions or their friendships or their relationships make us feel discontent about our lives without realizing those are photoshopped versions of their life that never actually amount to their reality. We're tempted to feel envious every time we're passed over for a job or a promotion or a spot on a team or some sort of recognition. Rather, rather than celebrating other people, we're, we're upset that we didn't get that praise ourselves. Maybe they're tempted to feel envious when they get to ride around in their roommate's expensive car their parents bought for them, or when they walk through the parking lot and see Pastor Jared's, you know, periwinkle blue Ford Fiesta. Who, how does that not tempt you to be envious? It's performance blue. It's periwinkle blue, my friend. It was affordable. It was affordable, Exactly. Well, they're driving around, you know, in the rusted out Honda Civic thinking, well, man, I wish I had parents that bought a nice car for me. Or maybe they'll be tempted to be jealous of a classmate who effortlessly gets straight A's while they're up burning the midnight oil to get B's. Or as I learned from my small group this year, not uh, they were, you know, drinking energy drinks, staying up till three in the morning studying, but hopefully that can die in college, that routine. No more of that. Dr. Susan Messerly told them very clearly that's a bad thing at our G180 this year. We live in a culture where jealousy, envy, and discontentment abound. Rather than being quick to celebrate the success of others, uh, we sulk when we don't have the success ourselves. Rather than building other people up with our words, we instead spend most of our time and effort building up ourselves. And we see everybody else as an enemy to be defeated that's on the path to our victory, our success, and our renown. Rather than considering all the things that we have to be thankful for, 
We are conditioned to rehearse the things that we don't yet have. We live in a culture of dissatisfaction and discontentment. But here's the problem. When those vices take root in our hearts, it never leads to a joyful or fulfilling life. And even worse, it poisons our happiness. It disintegrates our relationships. And ultimately, it distances us from Jesus. If our graduates and really all of us are going to excel not just in the next stage of life, but in our spiritual lives, we must fight to dislodge the roots of envy and jealousy from our hearts. And as we close out our time this morning, we have just four practical ways that we can work on being grateful rather than envious people. Here's the first one. We need to count our blessings, not our problems. We need to remember that envy at its essence is when we decide to count someone else's blessings rather than our own. That's what envy is. We need to count our blessings, not our problems, because the reality is we have all been blessed in immense ways. If we look at our vertical relationship with God and we look at the many things in our life he has given us, we are reminded that we have nothing to be disgruntled about. Uh, Our young adults group, some of us just got back from a mission trip to a more third world country. While we were there, we were able to go to one of the villages that was kind of outside of the larger city. And when we were there, we were doing a VBS with kids who had never really heard about Jesus before. We were playing with kids that for craft time, they haven't really gotten to do things like that or the games, they don't really have those supplies. And it's just a reminder of how many things we have here in our culture. I mean, if we're tempted to count our problems instead of our blessings, just consider living in a region where we would have not heard of Christ. I mean, we have all been immensely blessed both vertically and horizontally in our, in our lives. But second, another way to dislodge discontentment in our hearts, we need to reject the idol of achievement. Our culture says that you are equated to the sum of your greatest successes. And that makes it so tempting to be jealous and discontent of the success of other people. We are equated with a job title or how much we earn or our academic achievement. But God does not call us to a certain level of achievement, does he? Our identity is first and foremost found in the reality that we are children of God through Jesus Christ. That is what our worth is grounded in. But second of all, Jesus reminds us that the only thing that matters in eternity is hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant. He didn't say, well done, my successful and achievement-oriented person, did he? No. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Those who are good, who are obeying my law, those who are faithful, who faithfully followed me throughout every season of their life. Our worth and our value is found in our relationship with Christ, not the things that our world puts such preeminence upon. So if we are going to push back against discontentment, we need to find our identity in the right place. Instead of looking for the renown and applause of our culture, we need to look forward to the day when we hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Third, we need to remember that's more blessed to give than to receive. That's something that Jesus himself said, according to Paul in the book of Acts. It's more blessed to give than receive. That's counterintuitive. We've been taught in our culture, it's definitely more blessed to receive than to give. We live in a receive-oriented culture. But in this next season of life for our graduates, in a time where you are being poured into, in a time when it's stressful and hard, don't fall into the mindset that you are the center of the universe of your life. 
The universe does not orbit around you. Instead, be a giver over a receiver. Be generous with your words, with your time, with your affection. Uh, Remember that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And lastly, we need to focus on the greater gain. When we are tempted to compare horizontally, what we're doing is we're looking at the treasure we have in this life and being jealous of people who have more stored up. But what does Jesus tell us in the Sermon on the Mount? Don't store up for yourself treasure here in this world where moth and rust corrupt, but instead store up treasure for yourself in heaven where it won't corrupt and no one can ever take it away. Right? When we are tempted to feel jealous and discontent and envious, we need to remember that the moment this life is over, that treasure means nothing. The only treasure that matters is the treasure that's been stored up in heaven. So we need to focus on the greater gain and never be derailed and distracted by the flash of this life, but instead focus on the gains of eternity. We are so proud of our graduates. They have done amazingly well. They have traversed a difficult season and a time that was unexpected and unparalleled. They've done a tremendous job. We are excited to see how God uses them in this next season of their life, and we're confident that they're going to do amazing things for the kingdom. Uh, So if you see a graduate today or after the service or wherever, make sure to congratulate them, celebrate them, but most importantly, church family, let's be praying for them. Let's be praying that as God sends them out all across this country, that they will stand firm in their faith, They will bring glory to the Lord and they will take their next step in their relationship with Christ. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we are so grateful that we don't have to wander through life uh, wondering how we can please you and how we can be in a right relationship with you. You've revealed that to us. A right relationship comes by turning away from sin and putting our trust fully in the work of Christ. But then you also show us graciously in your word how we can live in a way that is pleasing to you, that brings more intimacy in our walk with you, and ultimately brings the truest blessing in our lives. And one of the ways that we can do that is by living out your moral expectations in the Ten Commandments. And we know that's a high calling, that's a hard calling, it's very countercultural, but we also know that we're not doing it alone. You have given the Holy Spirit within us to transform us and empower us for this kind of righteous living. So Father, we pray today that we have no other gods before you that we see the surpassing worth of following Jesus and we may displace the false gods of our culture like mammon or immorality or education, whatever else that might be, and you are preeminent in our lives. Mm -hmm. We ask that you encourage us to be men and women of full integrity. Allow our yes to be yes and our no to be no. And Father, ultimately help us to find our contentment in you. As Paul says, we want to be able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we found the secret of contentment in everything. And that is establishing our joy, our satisfaction, and our happiness, and our identity as a child of the King. We lift these things up to you. We pray for our graduates. Be with them. Watch over them. Keep them. Make your face shine upon them. And use them mightily for your kingdom work in this next season. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.